We're going to talk through the I am statements of Jesus. I am is the most holy and divine name for God uh, that's in the Bible. And we don't talk about it uh, enough. Uh, Through the book of John, there are seven or eight different I am statements of Jesus. He says things like, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way the truth, and the life. Before Abraham was, I am. And there's one of those statements that's not usually included as an I am statement, but I've always seen it as an I am statement. In fact, I would probably go out on the ledge to say, for me, it's probably the most important and maybe the most theologically profound I am statement. And uh, that's found in John uh, chapter 18. If you have your Bible with you today or you have a Bible that's close to you, Uh, Please feel free to grab one of those. If you don't have a Bible that's yours, take it, please. If you know a friend that doesn't have a Bible, take one of those. That's our gift to you. But in John chapter 18, uh, the uh, soldiers have come to arrest Jesus. It is um, close to his um, crucifixion, and Judas has betrayed Jesus. Jesus, And a whole detachment of soldiers has has been dispatched to come out and uh, arrest Jesus. And we don't know how many that I mean, soldiers came, but it wasn't just two and three because Jesus had his followers around him and I'm sure they thought his followers would put up a fight. And so I I imagine there's a good number of soldiers and and many people think there could have been a hundred and more had come out to arrest Jesus at night. And so that's the scene that John 18 um, happens in. And the scripture says in verse four, Jesus knowing all that was going to happen to him which is a fascinating statement in and of itself that shows Jesus's divinity, shows that he is God, shows that he has knowledge beyond just a regular human being. Um, Jesus went out and asked them, asked the soldiers, he says, who do you want? And verse five says, Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. Now, In English, it gets translated, I am he. In the original language, if you could open up a Greek New Testament and you would look at that verse, you would not see the he. What is recorded in the Greek New Testament, which then gets translated through all of us can read it into English, it's just the two words that get translated, I am. Now, we we add the he because it makes it readable. And we make, it makes it make a little sense to us. But what Jesus literally said, according to the Greek New Testament, is, is uh, when they said, we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am. Now, that harkens back to the Old Testament. When Moses at the burning bush incident, he, Moses asked God, he said, who should I tell Pharaoh? You want me to go to Pharaoh and say, and let my people go, all this free labor you've been get, getting for years and years and years. You, you want me to say, hey, let them all go. Who should I tell them that sent me? And he says, tell them I am. I am that I am. What is your name? So I can give him your name. You know, there's a whole bunch of different gods back then. Tell me what your name is. So I can tell him that this God, he says, I am that I am. And, and it was the most, it, it was the most um, a precious name of God. Uh, gets translated in your Bible uh, Lord, but it gets translated capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D when you see that in the Old Testament. That is I am. Capital L, little O, little R, little D, 
that, that word almost just means like sir. But when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's his divine name. That's the name that would not even be uttered by pious Old Testament Jews. They wouldn't even utter that name. That's how precious that name has, uh, was to them. And Jesus comes out and says, I am. And he uses the divine name. Now, I am means I, I, just, I just am. I, I'm, 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 not, I'm, not, I'm not here because of somebody else. I'm just here. I'm just, uh, I didn't have a cause. I didn't have a beginning. I didn't have an ending. I just am. I never had a start. I don't have a finish. I just am. Now, I have to say I am because of Clarence and Ann Atherton. Uh, there would not be a Mark Atherton today if there was not a Clarence and Ann Atherton. But God, in his divine name that Jesus uses and takes on himself here, he just says, I am. All the other teachers and prophets and sages, they point the way to God. What Jesus has the audacity to say is, I am God. And I'm standing here in front of you. Before Abraham was, listen to that. Before Abraham was, I am. What, what an odd statement that would be. Other, other teachers say, well, um, uh, we'll point you to God. We'll, we point you to the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Other people say, well, we'll, we'll point you to the way. And they may be good teachers of the way. We'll point you to the way. Jesus comes up and says, I am the way. Other people say, well, uh, we have the teachings that will bring eternal life. Jesus says, I am the life. That, it's audacious statements by Jesus, and he meant them to be audacious. Audacious statements by Jesus, well, almost you've got to be able to say, this guy is either who he says he is, or he's a nutcase. Right? I have a guest preacher today, and the guest preacher comes up, and, and he stands and makes these statements. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You think he's nuts. You would put him in the lockdown unit. Jesus, without blinking an eye, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but me. No one, no one, I'm not dependent on anyone. In fact, everyone is dependent on me. I am. I am. And he says that to force you to a crossroads. He says that to force you to a decision. He says that to make you uncomfortable because you have to make a decision on who he is. Either he was who he says he was, or he's a lunatic. Kind of like Charlie Manson. I guess you could say he was a liar. I just find it hard to believe that a liar or a lunatic could still be followed by millions and millions and millions of people all over this world. It would burn out by now. But what kind of person says that kind of stuff? I am. Not that I will be or I am showing you the way. I am the way. You know what the world has? The world puts all of the religions on a shelf, okay? And you pick any religion, put it on the shelf right here. And what the world says, and polite people around the world say, you can just pick any faith you want to here. And after all, let's be honest right now. All faiths have some good qualities about them. 
and, and they, ha- they say some good things and can help you live a good life. Okay, let's just be honest. We can say that. But, and they're all put it here on a shelf. And what the world says, just pick the one that you want. That's what the world says. And the world just, they're just fine if you pick Buddhism. The world's fine if you pick Hinduism. The world's fine if you pick Christianity. The world's fine if you pick this, that, or the other. But Jesus, with these statements, puts the Christian faith either way above all the rest or the founder of the Christian faith is an absolute nutcase and you got to put him down here. He doesn't allow you to put him on the shelf with all the rest of them. You, 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 you tell me in all the other faiths all the way around the world, where are those statements made? Jesus won't stand there on the shelf. Jesus says, you've either got to put me in my rightful place above the rest or you've got to totally discard me. By what he said. That's why, friends, you know, I never understood in the book of Revelation. It's, I don't know where it is in Revelation. It's somewhere in Revelation. Jesus says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. What I don't want you to be is lukewarm. I never got that statement. Because lukewarm is better than cold. At least in the shower it is, okay? And it seems like it'd be better if you're a little more towards hot than be cold. But Jesus says, I'd rather you be hot and cold. And, 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 what, and that's kind of backed up by this a little bit because what you can't make about Jesus, you can't have a mild or a, a little tepid or a little polite response to him, okay? He either, either is who he says he was or you got to just say, the heck with him. He's not worth a second of my time. He is, he is delusional, You would say that about anybody else that said those kind of things that came walking around today. So you cannot have a mild response to Jesus. If he is who he says he is, you've got to say, command me. I will follow you. Lead me. You can't have, well, yeah, Jesus is a good moral teacher. Jesus is, he, he was one of the best human beings that ever lived. Jesus taught the way to God. How, and, and people will say that all the time, but how can they say that, uh, that he's a good moral teacher by someone who claimed to be God? It makes no, it's, has no intellectual integrity at all. People that say that, they haven't read the Bible. They have not read the Bible. Because when you read the Bible, you have to come to grips with this man said things like, uh, Matthew 23, he said things like, um, over the centuries, I have sent you prophets and sages. What? He didn't say, I attest to all the prophets and stages, and I echo what they said. He said in Matthew 23, he says, I have sent you prophets and sages. That's not a good moral teacher. That guy's nuts. Uh, he says in Luke 10, he says, I saw Satan fall from heaven. Give me a break. This is a good moral teacher. This is, this is a good example for our children. You haven't read the stuff that he says, if that's what you think. Because you can't take these statements out and say, I like those, but leave these other ones and say, no, he really didn't mean that or they made that up. He didn't, he didn't allow you to have that decision. He forces you to a choice. He forces you to come to a crossroads and say, say, Jesus Christ is the very Son of God, the second person of Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, the God the Holy Spirit, divine in and of himself, 
uh, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the Lord of all creation, or he's something way else. C.S. Lewis is in probably in the most amazing paragraph maybe that he's ever written. C.S. Lewis was an atheist back in the mid 19th century and, and was a brilliant uh, speaker in England, a thinker in England, and he finally came to Christ. And C.S. Lewis makes a, a statement that has just resounded down through the decades about this, this very thing. Now, Jen has it up here, and I left out a couple of sentences that I want to read before we get to that. So listen to me just for a second. This is what C.S. Lewis says. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying that really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. And what they say is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. He says, this is one thing you just can't say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. Now, there, friends, there's no way around this. Well, Jesus, I really like the things that Jesus said, blessed are the meek and blessed are the poor in spirit. But are you, do you understand that that person that said that said before Abraham was I am? He claimed to be God. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, how can you choose between the two? You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You could say he's a fool. That's an intellectually honest response. You could say he's a fool. It's intellectually honest. You just don't believe it. I think he was a, some nutcase that walked around the earth 2,000 years ago and somehow got a bunch of followers. You could say he's a fool. That is intellectually honest because you just don't believe it. But to believe he was a really good guy, a great moral teacher, the greatest model of example, who just happened to claim he was God, that, is, that has no intellectual honesty. He either is who he said he was, or he's not. And he forces you to make that decision. Uh, you can shut him up as a fool, you can spit, up, spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall down at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let let, but let us not come with any patron, I like this way for this, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So when Jesus takes the I am names to himself and says all kinds of amazing things, I am, when he says to the soldiers just I am, they knew what he was they knew what he was saying. So who's Jesus to you? Are you intellectually honest? He's either Lord of all creation. Or he needs to be locked up. He's nuts. Because we would lock anybody else up that was walking around the world saying that today. There's no middle ground with Jesus. There's no mild response to Jesus that's intellectually honest. He either is who he says he is. Or he's the devil of all hell, C.S. Lewis says. Our, our little story continues and presents us with, um, I guess that's a problem. The choice is always a problem. 
presents us with a, a, another, another problem. What's the next scripture that we have up here, Jen? Thank you. When Jesus said, I am he, <laughs> they drew back and they fell to the ground. Soldiers. And the, the Greek here on fell to the ground, the most literal way you can translate it is they hit the ground hard. Now, what in the world does this mean? Now, if this was just like one little statement in the Bible and we don't have any other statements like it, we could just scratch our heads and say, I don't know what it means. But we see a thread all the way running through scriptures. Then when people come into the presence of the divine, that when people come into the presence of the Holy One, when people come into the presence of the other, they can't stand. They can't stand in the glory of God. And it's almost like when Jesus said, I am. It's almost like a little bit of his glory just seeped out and the guys hit the ground hard. That's what scripture says. The guys hit the ground hard. Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel sees a whole big vision of what heaven's like and what the, the throne room is like and what God is like. And at the end of chapter 1, it says, uh, Ezekiel says that he was just totally undone. He couldn't stand in the presence and the glory of God was filling everything. Second Chronicles chapter 5, the Bible says the glory of the God filled the temple and, and the ministers of the temple, they could not even minister. The glory of God was, 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 was so intense. God's presence, his realness, his awesomeness, his otherness, his holiness was there. And they said they couldn't even minister. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah sees a, a vision of God. And what's he say in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 5 or 6? He goes, I am undone. I'm a sinner and I live amongst sinful people. You see, people... When a little bit of the glory of God, when you see him who he is, you cannot stand in his presence. And I'm not talking about just standing on two feet. I'm talking about you're humbled. You, you fall on your face. You see, you see your unworthiness in the light of the one who is worthy. And that's a problem, friend. Because we're going to stand in front of him one day. Peter goes fishing and he catches nothing. Luke chapter five tells us, catches nothing. And so he brings his boat back in and Jesus happens to be there and says, hey, let's go out and get some fish. And Peter says, you know, I've just been out there all day. Don't want to do it, but because you say it, I'll do it. So they, they, they push out one more time and, and the Bible says something like they catch so much fish, they just can't even bring it in. And what is Peter's response? Hey, my good buddy, high five. Peter's response in, in Luke chapter 5, he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And God is an awesome, holy, even terrible God in his awesomeness, and mere mortals cannot stand in his presence. What is it in Exodus? Is it, is it Exodus? I don't, 
I just I didn't research this, and I just thought of it in the first first uh, service. Doesn't doesn't God somehow walk past Moses and He tells Moses to be hid in the cleft of the rock and and and, and only and only and and only uh, like His backside can be seen because if you see all of me, He says you can't stand, you can't deal with it. So you know what? I got a problem. Because I'm going to stand at judgment one day. And you have a problem. You're going to stand in judgment in front of this God one day. Now what we hear a lot is all kinds of warm fuzzies about God. And God is a God of love. He's God of grace. He's God of mercy. Multiply that times infinity, yes. But he's a holy God the exact same times infinity. And somehow, in a way that my feeble mind will never understand, his holiness, his otherness, his awesomeness, his glory comes together with his love and mercy and grace at the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what it says in the text. I'm just not making this up. Because the last scripture that we have for you, what's the last ones that we have for you here, Jen? Verse 7 says, uh, the soldier, again, he asked them, Jesus says, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, let these other people go. Verse 10, verse 9, this happened so the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. And that's Old Testament prophecy there. I have not lost one of those that you gave me. Because they would have taken the others with them. And Jesus said, no, you don't want them. Just take me. Verse 10, Simon Peter, who had, who had a sword, drew it and struck out the high priest's servant. Tr- struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. So Peter, the, he just says, we're, we're going to fight him, man. We're, we're not going we're, 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 we're to let him take you. And Jesus didn't like that. Verse 11, he says, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup? That the Father gave me. Now, what's a cup? Now, I could go back in the Old Testament and we could trace where cup means judgment, cup means God's wrath, and all that is true. But let's just go to the Garden of Gethsemane in, in Matthew. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Garden? He said, Father, would you take this cup from me? Now, what was he meaning? He was meaning the cross. He was meaning his death on the cross where where the wrath of God was was going to be all poured out on him for my sin and for your sin. And then then he went off and prayed a second time, the scripture says. And it it says, oh, God, if if you can't take this cup from me, then not my will, but yours be done. In the context of the moment, the cup was what Jesus was facing was the cross. And what was the cross? It was the cross was going to be where God was going to judge Jesus instead of judging me and you. God was going to pour all of his wrath, all of his holiness, all of his, all of his awesomeness, all of his otherness on Jesus. So if we would just believe in that, or one day in him, I can stand in his presence. Not in me. And doesn't that, all the people that are, are trying to be good for, for, to get into heaven, doesn't that make that seem so silly? 
I mean, you're going to be good enough. You're going to tell the truth enough or you're going to be a good person enough to somehow stand in front of a holy God. That, that, that biblical times, people couldn't, when they got any kind of a little glimpse of him, they, they, they fell to the ground. We have a problem. God is an awesome God. And he's not to be messed with. We don't talk about this enough in our tradition. We, we, we talk, rightfully so, about the love, grace, and mercy of God. Rightfully so. But we need to balance that out. Because we talk about the good news, and, and the good news is unbelievably good. But if there wasn't any bad news, you wouldn't need any good news. You know what the bad news is? You can't stand in front of him. You'll hit the ground as though you were dead. He's God. But because he self-sacrificed himself, something has happened in the mind of the Trinity that allows me somehow, the Bible says, to have the righteousness of God. You, well, explain that to me, Mark. Nope, not even going to try. Not even going to try. But I'm telling you, friends, here. Can I say this reverently? And I don't know if this is really good. Some of you may take me to task afterwards. Can I tell you what me and you really need? We need to be God-proofed. Because we're going to stand in his presence one day. And we ain't going to make it. And just like if there was a big fire here, I'd have to put on some fireproof suit to walk through this fire and survive. Somehow we have to be God-proofed. And the cross is the way that God has made a way that somehow his awesomeness and his holiness and his otherness that we can be God-proofed. And just let me close with this. If I can stand on that day, and in Scripture, wherever you see that little phrase, that day, it's talking about Judgment Day. If I can stand on that day in the, in the light of the most awesome being the universe has ever seen, if I somehow, because of the righteousness of God, because I'm in Him, because of my faith and trust in, in, in Jesus Christ, if I can stand on that day, why can't I stand when other people don't accept me? Why, why, does it, why does it bug me so much when you don't accept me? Why does it bug me so much when somebody criticizes me? Why does it bug me so, so much when I've been wronged? Let me tell you, when that day comes, whenever that day, day will be for me, I will be able to stand in him and, and survive the most awesome judgment anyone could ever go through. But I can't survive your criticism and you can't survive mine. We're in him right now, just like we will be in him on that day. And why can't I stand even though I'm not accepted by you or you're not accepted by me? I preach the gospel today. I have. I trust God is pleased with that. 
And even though I preach the gospel, plain, unadulterated gospel lots of Sundays, I wanted to preach it on the Sunday after Billy Graham's death. Because for years and years, one of God's servants has preached a message, something like that. And he says, God is awesome. We're not. Something has to happen. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Choose. Make your choice. Who do you think Jesus is? And how many times have we seen Billy Graham behind a pulpit saying choose? To decide is not to decide. That's what you have to do today, friends. Let me tell you, you're not going to stand in the judgment unless you're God-proofed. And that only comes with the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ. And if I can stand in that judgment, what can you do to me? What can I do to you? Ought to change everything. Our servers are coming to the table. When we do stand on that day, however that will be, and there's not a single one of us knows how that will be. I don't think that we're going to be saying I was holding on to him, I think we'll more likely say he was holding on to us. <laughs> I, I don't think we'll, we'll say, I found you. I think we'll more likely say, you found me. I don't think we'll say, well, I was reaching up for you. I think we'll say, thank you for reaching down to me. He's the great I am. I am holding on to you, holding on to you. I am. Father, I just like many pastors all over the world today, I've tried to honor one of your servants, Billy Graham, by preaching what he would have preached. But more importantly than honoring him, I hope I honored you. And if some way, in my own way, try to once again preach the old, old story. And I've done it in a different way. I've tried to show these people who you are. And there's no way I can fully do that. Because I, I don't fully know who you are. I just know that you've revealed yourself as an awesome, holy being. And I can't stand in your presence. And these people can't either. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who somehow... In some way, and, and Father, I apologize if this is irreverent, but somehow Jesus has made us worthy or has even God-proofed us to stand in your presence. Thank you that your love and your holiness come together at the cross of Jesus Christ. Help us remember that cross now in your name. Amen.